Good morning. We had one slide left on Acts 8, 1 through 8. So I want to finish that slide. If you didn't bring your thing from last week, that's okay. You'll be able to follow this. Slide 9 from last week. I'm sure I didn't cover this, but I have forgotten things. The worst thing that would happen is we cover it twice, and that won't hurt anybody. Yeah, it won't be on the new handout, but I think I did not cover this last week. We didn't cover it. Let me read the verse, and then we'll pray, and we'll get started. Acts 8, 7, and 8, and I'm using the ESV on this verse. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now remember here, we have Philip preaching. This was after the martyrdom of Stephen. And God scattered the church. Remember that. The apostles remained in Jerusalem. And so Philip ends up being the preacher. So let's begin with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, that we can gather with your flock and open up the scriptures and encourage one another and learn and believe and trust your promises. We know that you'll graciously work changing our lives and making us more like our Savior. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So notice what Philip is doing is preaching. Remember we talked about gospeling, I think? Galizo. He's preaching the word, gospeling the word, preaching Christ. And these things that happened happened spontaneously as God was their work, okay? And so there were signs that happened, and these are, were mentioned in verse 6, signs, the Greek word, semion, and what I have pointed out is that signs signify. Back in the 80s, we had a lot of debate and discussion because most of our congregation back in those days had come out of the charismatic movement. And we were somewhat used to preachers coming through town advertising that they were going to do miracles. They were going to do signs. Come to the miracle meeting. And they're still out there, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I get emails. I'm on the email list for one of them just so I keep track of what they're up to. This guy, Todd Bentley, have you heard of him? Well, his email, just the subject line will say, come to the miracle meeting in Toronto or wherever he is. So how does he know there's going to be miracles? See, he thinks he can just produce them at will. And then he knows how to make miracles happen. 
But the problem with that is that if you can use some sort of means that guarantees a miracle will happen, you no longer have a miracle, you have a natural event. You just have the results of causes. Now, a real miracle is done by God at his discretion, and it's supernatural. And when something is called a sign, what we need to be concerned with is what does it signify. Today we'll be talking about this a lot. Signs signify. If they don't signify, they don't do their job. All right? So when you're going down the street and you see a red sign that says stop, What does it signify? Stop. It's a controlled intersection, and you're on a street that has to stop. So every sign, if it's going to do what it's supposed to do, must signify. Now, back in the 80s, when I started doing a lot of teaching on this, and I was being resisted on every corner, it was a big battle to get a church from charismatic to gospel because we were sort of always saying where are the signs, where's the miracles where's God working are the demons going out are people being healed I wrote a bunch of articles back in the 90's on this and tried to help people understand and one of the things they did was they explained samion Greek word signs and here's how you discern a valid sign. Signs that are from God signify that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? And that his apostles are the ones that God ordained that would give us his binding authoritative word. So the signs of the apostles the signs of Messiah are the same. He is the Messiah. They are his sent ones. Signs do not signify that Todd Bentley is a great man of God, so send him your money. But see, that's what these false teachers do. They want to give the illusion, at least, that there's signs in order to enhance their own status. Now, we had a Saturday morning men's meeting for years and years and years. And that was where we worked out all this stuff. We'd talk about it. And one one of our men's meetings, we showed a video that was a documentary where they'd gone undercover at some meeting. I think it was a guy named Popoff. And he he was getting words of knowledge. That was his sign. Well, he'd have a be hiding in the bathroom and listening to people come in and talk. So he's hiding in a stall or whatever. And a guy comes in and says, oh, I see you got a new uh, green Ford uh, or you got a new, uh, you bought a new house or whatever they're talking about. Okay. I don't remember exactly what. And then he figured out who it was, what they're talking about and what he learned. So then he'd get in his meeting and he's preaching he'd say 
God's given me a word of knowledge. You over there, stand up. You just bought a new green Ford. <laughs> oh, it's a mirror. Oh, yes. Everybody clever. Oh, great man of God. Then they take up an offering. Well, it was all bogus. Okay, and then they had earpieces, and they were getting data fed in from somebody else, and it was all a scam. Now, signs signify that Jesus is the Christ. Philip, who was an associate of the apostles, was preaching Christ. These things that happened just happened. He didn't do anything to stir up the crowd or try to make them think there's signs. These things just happen spontaneously. And God did this to signify that Jesus is the Christ and that the apostles were sent by him. Earlier in Acts 3, a layman had been healed. Brian, since you have the mic, I'll call on you. Could you read Acts 3, 2 through 8? And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene walk and seizing him by the right hand he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened with a leap he stood upright and began to walk and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God amen now someone else a Dan could you look up Isaiah 35 4 through 6 and then you bring him to Mike. Yep. See, the Old Testament interpreted the sign of the healing of the lame man at the gate beautiful. And what that signified, because it was in the name of Jesus Christ, was that the Messianic age was on the scene of history in the person of Christ and his apostles. Isaiah 35, 4 through 6, when you're ready. Sure. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. Yeah, Arabah. So the lame will leap like a deer. That's exactly what happened. So Isaiah 35 is a messianic prophecy. God will come. God will come. So God came in the person of Christ and did miracles to show that the gospel was true. And that's what it signified. Now we want to look at 2 Corinthians 12, 12. 
And I will read that one. The signs, Paul said, of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs, wonders, and miracles. So these are the signs of the apostles. Now, some people mock us for teaching this and say that it's just a cop-out and that we need to be doing as many miracles as Jesus and the apostles did. And if we don't, we're not from God. There's something wrong with us. I was accused of that last week. I was told I wasn't from God. I wasn't following Christ. Let me tell you why. This would be another little lesson here if you're willing to hear it. I got an email from someone who wanted me to look at a link where they were showing demonic manifestations. And she said, I've had demons manifesting since I was a little kid. And I want you to cast the demons out of me. And uh, please respond. I can't get anybody to help me. I think you could cast out those demons. So I use these emails. I get them every week almost. as a chance to evangelize. So I linked an article where I talked about how we're delivered from Satan by being transferred out of his domain. So you have that. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. I have an article about that. Acts 26, 18. 1 John 5, 19. I said, you're thinking too small. See, God doesn't just get one demon out of you. He removes you from their domain. The whole person leaves the domain of Satan. And it's a bad idea to interact with demons It just makes things worse. They've been in their realm for thousands of years. Their job is to deceive, and they're good at it. I wouldn't go there. So she wrote back and said, I don't believe you're even a follower of Christ. You're not willing to do what you're supposed to do. You're just pushing me away, and I don't think you're even following Christ. So I emailed back and said, Oh, yeah, I believe and trust Christ, and I have for 40-some years. I'm telling you, you need to get out of the domain of darkness, and you don't need an exorcist. I never heard from her again. I'll tell you what the problem is. This, This is amazing. They get their claims from Mark 15 the part that wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. So you want to know why textual criticism is valid. It doesn't mean we're criticizing the Bible. It means we're trying to find out what was and what was not inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we've known for a long time through manuscript evidence that the ending of Mark 15 was not in the original Gospel of Mark. When Eric preached through Mark, he stopped at verse 8. Now, is yours bracketed? Mark 15, after verse 8? All right, you're right. I meant Mark 16. I'm supposed to know these things. 
after verse 8 of Mark 16. It's bracketed. Now, if you read that, it says in there, these signs will follow those who believe. Notice it doesn't say the apostles or anybody like Christ or the apostles. Or it says those who believe. So if you're really a believer, what, what's one of the signs? You'll cast out demons, right? Does it say that? It says if you're a believer, you'll cast out demons. So based on the ending of Mark 16, which wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit, I'm not a believer because I don't cast out demons. So therefore, I'm lost. Do you see the reasoning? And you know what I do? I write back and I say, the ending of Mark 16 wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not binding, so I won't listen to it. Oh boy, do they get mad. But see, that's one of the reasons some false teachers are King James only. They need it for their Pentecostal doctrine or whatever charismatic doctrine, whatever it is they want to promote. Uh, Yes, uh, bring the mic to Lonnie. So I just want you to uh, give a comment about this. uh, I think his name is Bob Larson. Yeah. The exorcist. Yeah. 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 See, the reason I get these emails is I wrote an article about his teaching, refuting it. It was issue 68 of CIC back in the 90s. Okay. So I told the story about how I used to be in the 70s in deliverance ministry and some of the experiences I had just to prove that I know what I'm talking about because they say, well, these cessationists, they had no experience. That's why their doctrine's wrong. So I wrote an article saying, I have had the experience. I know that it's real, but I don't do it because it isn't right. And then I refute Bob Larson and his practices. Well, so that article got linked all over the world because they just read the beginning and they don't wade through all of it to find out why I got out and they think I know how to get demons out because of that story and then they email me before they finish reading it saying help me get these demons out you're the great man of God help me where do you live I'll fly into your city here's my phone number you got to call me I got to get rid of these demons and so then I wrote an article I think it's issue 131. I might be wrong. Uh, Christy knows, but where I talk about God taking us from one domain to the other. So now what I do, instead of, see what I can do is just get rid of that article so that it's a dead link, but I won't do it because that's my evangelism tool. Because I think a lot of these people aren't really saved. They're just wanting interact with the demons or somebody to get them out. And so every time I get one of those, I start evangelizing. I talk about Christ, what he's done, and how we can escape the domain of darkness. And I give them Bible verses to prove it. Do you want to get out of the domain of darkness? 
And some say, oh, you're just not wanting to help me. No, I want to help you more than you can know. Here's what I've said lately. You're thinking too small. What do you mean? You're thinking this demon, that demon is doing this or that. I'm telling you, you got to think big. Go from one domain, Satan's domain, with his minions, into another domain, the kingdom of God in Christ. And then, if you don't like what the demons are doing, you go to the throne of grace and tell God, let him deal with it. God can handle that realm better than we can. Right? Yeah, he cannot lie and he cannot be deceived. So I keep telling him, Hebrews 4.16, 1 Acts 26.18, then Colossians 1.13, then 1 John 5.19, then Hebrews 4.16. I'm not putting you off. Go to the throne of grace. Do you think Jesus can't help you? Well, they're thinking, no, we need an exorcist, Mark 16. I'm saying, no, you need the gospel and the throne of grace. Now, Christy, I sent you this one. I got a good response, didn't I? Where a guy said, oh, thank you. Thank you for these uplifting scriptures. See, and I've had another one. There was one lady who was like that. I did the same thing. I preached the gospel. She responded positively. I kept teaching her. Then I turned it over to my daughter, Jessica. And she asked her husband, can I help this lady? My dad needs help. I said, he said, sure. So she started discipling this person, even though they live out on the West Coast. I saw Jessica the other day. She said, that lady has been totally transformed. And I only hear from her every once in a while out of a courtesy. She's free. She's believing the truth. She's found a good church. And all that stuff is gone. Do you see that? So... Before I get to you, Brian, this is why scholarship is important. The ending of Mark 16 can lead people astray because it wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we need to just say, no, it's not part of the actual Bible. Why do we leave it in there? And they bracket it because, I'll tell you why. These King James-only people intimidate everybody. They tell you you have a New Age Bible. The question was, why did we leave it in there? They say, you have a New Age Bible if you don't have the King James. And then they go and say, well, the Textus Receptus is the only inspired one. Because that's the one that has that Greek. And they will not allow textual criticism. And they say, you don't believe the Bible, you believe science. I wrote an article about this. If you want to see hate mail, try to correct King James only. They won't listen to anybody. And they're angry. And they're bitter. And they accuse me of not even being a Christian because I'm not using King James only. And their logic is so bad. They'll say, here, and they'll send me this thing. Here's 250 times where things were taken out of the Bible by whatever, New American Standard. It's begging the question. The King James is the only Bible, and so anything in some other one that's not in here was because some sinister people took it out. But we're trying to determine whether you're correct 
The King James is the only Bible. And you're assuming it is, so anything that's not in it was because of a New Age plot. Well, wait a second, you're, you're begging a question. I don't accept your premise, King James is the only Bible. And therefore, if something's in it, that's not in another one, is it proof that some wicked person took it out? They write you off. The, the, the sad truth of the matter is that whether we're talking about demons or whether we're talking about some other uh, false form of the gospel, all of these people are under the belief that they're saved. When, in fact, if these people who claim to have demons, what they need to do is to repent and get saved. And believe the gospel. And believe the gospel. Yeah, it says Which in John, 1 John five eighteen that if we're born of God, the evil one doesn't touch us. That's what it says. 1 John four eighteen or five eighteen. I I use that too. But they'll they're they're wanting to accuse me of not being saved because I'm not casting out demons. Do we know who added it? Added what? This. And it showed up, you know, it was early on in church history, it was added. We don't know exactly why. No. It just showed up in the Ale- no, in the Byzantine text. The Alexandrian ones don't have it. Well, then they turn around and say, oh, there's all kinds of heretics in Alexandria, so therefore we can't believe anything that came from those manuscripts that were found in Alexandria. I've been told that. You can't believe anything that came out of Alexandria. Okay, come on, let's back up a little bit. You know who came from Alexandria? Athanasius. You know what Athanasius did? You ever read MacArthur's book, The Truth War? He fought tenaciously like nobody else against Arius. And what was Arius' doctrine? Arius won over, over half of the church. Read The Truth War by MacArthur. Arius said this, there was a time when he was not. He believed that Jesus was a created being. Athanasius from Alexandria fought him. So you just can't say only heresy came from Alexandria. Here's the deal. That we have really good manuscripts and old ones from Alexandria is due to climate. And I don't mean climate change. (laughs) Being dry, lacking humidity, and just the great scholarship, the Septuagint came from Alexandria before the time of Christ. So really, really old, high-quality manuscripts are found in Alexandria. And that's why the Alexandrian texts are often better. So, you can see how difficult it is to help people find the truth. When I get into this, it just goes bad in a hurry. It goes, oh, you got the wrong Bible. No, you can't cast out demons. You're not a Christian. Then you got the wrong Bible. Then 
he must be a heretic. He used the Alexandrian text. Then you're not using the King James, blah, blah, blah. Well, you can use these arguments to prove whatever you want. Now, do you see how difficult it is to correct error? And what I have to guard, I'll tell you what I have to guard in me. I can't get angry. Because if I get angry, I won't evangelize. I have to see these people as someone who needs the gospel and the compassion of God. If I get angry, I'll just always immediately say, go away. So that's why the article's still there, and that's how I evangelize every week from emails. And it's very difficult. Now, we did 2 Corinthians 12, 12, signs of a true apostle. These signs, Simeon, signify that Jesus is the Christ and that the apostles are who they claim to be. So, Philip's mission in his preaching and healing says, one great book, by the way, Tannehill, two volumes, Narrative Unity of Luke Acts, volume one and two. Those two volumes I got in seminary have helped me with Luke Acts more than you can imagine. Unbelievable, seminal, quality work by Robert Tannehill. So I'm going to quote him. Philip's mission of preaching and healing is described in ways that suggest its similarity to and continuity with the mission of Jesus and the apostles. What they did, he's now doing. He does it in a new area and with a new ethnic group. Daniel says the fulfillment of Jesus' commission in Acts 1.8 does not wait until the apostles are ready to include Samaria. So God was sovereignly doing this so that Philip would be seen by the readers of Acts as somebody who's standing in line with Jesus and the apostles and that his preaching was valid. And we'll see some more on this as we go. So does this all make sense? I hope so. All right. Let's go to the next PowerPoint. Acts 8, 9 through 13. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Okay, so now Simon the sorcerer is introduced to our narrative. So Philip is gospeling Yuan Galizo. He's preaching Christ, 
proclaiming messianic salvation. God sovereignly does signs in connection with Philip's preaching, which I'm calling signs of the apostles and signs of the messianic age, breaking into history. Now this guy, Simon, saw this as a threat to his business because Philip, whatever was going on, his signs were more profound. And so here's one of the key differences. I mentioned it a a bit ago. Signs that happened in Jesus' ministry or Peter or later Paul or the other apostles and their associates signified that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that we should believe on him and come to him to be saved. Signs that Simon did signified that Simon was the great power of God and you should give him your money. Do you see the difference? Somebody, how Simon was pulling this off, it doesn't say exactly. It says he was practicing sorcery, magia, where we get our word magic. Let me quote David Peterson's commentary on Acts. Quote, Luke portrays Simon as practicing sorcery, magion, or magia, and amazing the Samaritan nation. Amazing, by the way, we're going to look at, it's going to come up again, uh, exhistomy, or exhistomnon, known, excuse me. Now, the word exhistomy is where we get our word ecstasy. And it literally means to to stand out. And it became known as being out of your mind. So when you're ecstatic, you may not be thinking clearly. Does that make sense? To stand out, astonished, amazed. Go back to quoting Peterson. Suggesting a widespread and powerful influence. The cognate word magus, magus, was borrowed from Persian, where it denoted a member of the priestly Median tribe. It came to be used of anyone possessing supernatural knowledge or magic or ability. Anyone practicing magic or anyone who was a deceiver or seducer. So Simon became known as Simon Magus. Have you heard that? Simon Magus. Simon the magician. And he was astonishing people and relishing being called great. I'm great. I'm powerful. And I'm practicing magic. Now, who wants to be a reader that hasn't been? Norm. Brian just volunteered you. If you could, 
Yeah, that helps. Same walking. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14. I have it listed on your PowerPoint. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. To keep going? Yeah, two more. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, for those nations which you shall dispossess. Listen to those who... Listen to those who practice witchcraft and to the diviner, diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. All right. So sorcery is forbidden. Divination is forbidden. Astrology is forbidden. If you want a general verse that forbids all of this, go to Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to the Lord your God, but that which is revealed belongs to you and to your children and so on. The secret things belong only to God. So if somebody is going to reveal secrets that God has not chosen to reveal, they're practicing divination or shamanism. Most Cultures in human history have had shamans, right? False priests of false religions. And the shamans or witch doctors in most cultures are held in high regard. They make a lot of money. They amaze a lot of people. And people feel like they need them. The shaman is, in a sense, making his or herself the medium between the spirit world and the natural world. Pagan societies fear the spirits and the spirit world. And they try to scare off evil spirits. Now, rationalism came along and said... There are no spirits. This is all just mythology. And some demythologized the Bible. Said Jesus didn't really cast out spirits. He was just accommodating the beliefs of the people. But these things don't really exist. Now when I get these emails I mentioned, the people come to me because I say these things really do exist which they do. I'm not going to practice divination or magic. And the Christian minister 
is not a shaman. We point people to Christ. And we point people out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's why I always go back to Hebrews 4.16. We can go to the throne of grace, the exalted and resurrected Christ who bodily ascended into heaven before the apostles. They saw him ascend up into heaven. And Hebrews talks about his session at the right hand of the Father. And he always lives to make intercession for us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I tell people in, in Revelation, it says they overcome the accuser by the blood of the Lamb. How is that true? His blood washes away my sins. If my sins are forgiven, the accuser is silenced. Yes. So is uh, deliverance and exorcism, shamanism and div- divination? Yes. Thank you for that. I came to a point. And so people like this Bob Larson are practicing shamanism. And he gets thousands of dollars. I don't know if he's still doing it. I wrote this article. Okay, I wrote the article back in the 90s. See, in God's providence, I was in a ministry that was doing these things for, and for five years. And so when I got out, and I started writing these articles 10 years later, people can't say, well, I'm just one of these academic people. I don't really have any experience. I've been there. I've done that. I, can know, I know what's wrong with it. I'm ashamed of what we were doing, and I repented of it, and I went to the gospel instead. I wish somebody would have sat down with me in 1976 and explained these things. Maybe I wouldn't have listened. I did have Bible college teachers that warned me, but they didn't point to Acts 26, 18, 1 John 5, 18, Colossians 1, 13, and say, you've been transferred from one domain to the other. And the good news is everything that Satan does, you have a recourse. You go right to the throne of grace. And... 2 Corinthians 12. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. What did he call it? A messenger of Satan. What's the word messenger? Angelos. An angel of Satan. Maybe he meant it literally, maybe he didn't. But that's what he called it. An angelos messenger, angel of Satan. So what did he do? He rebuked Satan, right? No. You read ahead, didn't you? <laughs> somebody's been reading your Bible he didn't rebuke Satan he went to God and the Lord said my grace is sufficient for you after three times he asked God God didn't say well you, you should have figured out how to rebuke Satan by now no my grace is sufficient so if you go to the throne of grace Hebrews 4.16 and Jesus still allows whatever kind of attack could go on, then go like Paul and say, well, the only thing Satan's going to do to me is make me more convinced than ever I'm going to serve Christ. The mic. 
for Luann. This time you really have to walk. Does it, so, dear saints, I had to figure out how to explain this because of 30 years trying to make sense of what was going on back in the 70s for me. And I sincerely want to help people that at one time I hurt. And I want them to know what the Bible says, that they've been delivered. Yes. Well, I just wanted to comment on, the again, the Deuteronomy 29.29. And, you know, it's so popular for people to want to um, have their dreams interpreted. And we came out of a charismatic background also. And there were books all over the place that would tell you, like, you know, when you have recurrent dreams that your teeth are falling out or why you forget your locker combination. You know, these things that are recurrent for a lot of people having the same things. And, you know, there was always, you know, snakes mean lies and, you know, just tons of different... Divination. Um, yeah. And so... And that's in the church. You know, this is what people are trying to figure out is what does my dream mean? Oh, yes, absolutely. That was it. That was going on. And people got revelations about how it was you were cursed. Can you interpret why when I'm dreaming, I can't get the golf ball to sit on a tee? No, I I can't get it. All these people are standing there. Come on, hit the ball. I put it on the tee, it falls off. Put it on the tee, it falls off. Come on, hit the ball. It won't stay on. That's my dream. It's got to mean something. Get bigger tees. Anyhow, I told my wife one time, if dreams mean anything, I must be really frustrated. Because whatever I'm trying to do in a dream won't work. <laughs> All right, so Simon Magus. Simon Magus, he's called that because a little later in church history, Justin Martyr claimed that this Simon, and we're going to see more of him as we go along. Remember, he wanted to buy the Holy Spirit? Justin Martyr said he started a whole Gnostic cult. The Simon, they, they were named after him, Simonians. And so some, there's some claim in church history that this guy became the leader of a cult. But the Bible doesn't say that, but maybe it's true. We don't know. It came from Justin Martyr. Yes. Another example of divination is personal words of God from God. Yes. We have an article about that, personal words from God. Remember last week I was talking about the Christian mission? Go into the nations. You should be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the innermost parts of the world. There's whole groups of Christians that think that you have to get a personal revelation from God to know where to go. One group that I'm familiar with said this. Because you're commanded to go, you need a personal revelation from God giving you permission not to go. Okay, let me explain the problem with that. Number one, it forces you to get revelations, binding revelations. Now, out of all the places in the world, let's say you decide to go to the Netherlands on a mission rather than France. Okay, so... If you didn't get a personal revelation from God, 
How do you know you're not sinning? See, to disobey God is sin, right? So if God's commanded me to go somewhere besides America, I'm sinning if I don't do it. Now, then they say, but you can get a word from God saying you don't have to go. If their interpretation of Matthew 28 is correct, the written word of God says it's a sin to not go. Then they're saying you could get a personal word from God to cancel out the written word of God, how they interpret it. So then, if that is correct, the personal word of God has more power and authority than the written word of God. So that's absurd. Now, the other answer is where people go is part of God's providence, and we have Christian liberty about it. Do you see the issues? There are so many problems, logical fallacies. Okay. Uh, Luther was correct. He said, unless you convince me by scripture and sound reason, here I stand. Here I stand. When I debated Doug Paget, the emergent guy, they're against reason. They're attacking it. When I wrote a book about it, I quoted Francis Schaeffer's book, Escape from Reason, because that's what they wanted to do. And in my debate, he started denying the law of non-contradiction, A is not non-A. Well, if you don't have non-contradiction, you have no knowledge whatsoever because everything's one big gray nothing. Anyhow, go ahead. I'm drawn back to Saul at Gilgal in uh, verse 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, starting in verse 23, for rebellion is as a sin of divination Amen. and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Yep. Divination. Good one. Now, does, that, does this start to make sense to you? So, personal words from God by those who believe in them, override the scripture. And so you have to become a diviner to be, obey God according to their worldview. So I wrote an article about that. Every one of these things over the last 30-some years, if I hear them very often, I just go write an article about it. Then you can link it in the email. Say there, personal word from God. Now, I want to say one more thing here. I want to talk about astonishing the people. I mentioned it earlier. I have this in my notes. Astonishing is existemi. Existemi. From ek and histemi. In the Greek, and it's where we get our word ecstasy. It is literally, quote, to remove out of place, unquote, or, quote, to stand out of, unquote. And in usage, it meant one's mind. In Luke, it is used to mean to be astonished, as in Luke 8, 57. It's common in Acts. So they're astonished. But in the case of Simon, it was a bad thing. Later, in the case of Philip, it'll be a good thing. They're astonished at the gospel itself. Now, what a battle we have 
to stay true to the Lord. Isn't it a battle? And this desire to be a mystic never quits. People want that so badly. They want to be a mystic. They want to hear from the spirit world. They want to get revelations from God. They think if they can get these, everything will be okay. I I think I know why people get so angry with me when I tell them I don't cast out spirits but point people to the gospel. They think if somebody can cast out the spirits, that's an easy answer to their problem. Okay, then these things would go and I wouldn't be tormented and I'd be okay. But if I have to believe the gospel, that means taking up your cross and following Christ. And there's a lot of implications there. Just to command a, a radio for the summer because I, I don't have Eric to help me record. I'm putting up Luke audios. Have you heard some of them on the CIC radio? And I found high quality recordings. I just am going to put one up out of Luke 9 that was done some years ago. And it's about the implications of the call to carry your cross and why it offended everybody. And I commended MacArthur's book, Hard to Believe. I still do. Hard to Believe. Good book. So why do they want an exorcist? So they don't have to carry their cross. They don't have to trust Jesus, even if Satan does torment them. Life is difficult. Life is frustrating. There are things that we don't have answers to. And we wish we had more answers, but we have scripture alone. But I'm assuring you, dear saints, we love you. We want the best for you. I promise you that. I know God wants the best for you. My motives may be mixed. God's are not. And I'll tell you what's the best for you. Don't get too far from Hebrews 4.16. You've got problems that may involve the world of the spirits. Every time, go to the throne of grace. Do like Paul, messenger from Satan, go to the throne of grace. Frustrations you can't fix, go to the throne of grace. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be some glorious theologian. You just have to believe the promises of God. I email back to people, believe the promises of God. Well, is that all you have? The promises of God is all I have? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Believe the promises of God. He's given us great and magnificent promises that by them, We might become partakers of the divine nature, meaning communicable attributes, to escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. Great promises. He hears us at the throne of grace. He has all the assets of the whole universe at his fingertips. He loves us as his own sons and daughters. He cares for us. He'll help us. He'll take care of us. He'll give us grace. He will take us on to glory. And he's promised it. And it's not a little thing. It's a great thing. So, dear saints, I leave you with that. Hebrews 4, 16. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for caring so much for us that you've given us exceeding great, precious promises. May we believe them.
May we trust you and may we stand against the temptation to go into the world of the spirits. Thank you for delivering us out of that. And Lord, we, by your grace, want to stay out of it and go instead to you to help us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.